You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Hi, Real Life. How are you? Glad you're here. Thankful to uh, be a part of this this morning. And just to give you a big precursor, we're going to talk about today what is, in my opinion, probably the most difficult of all of the passages in the Sermon on the Mount. Not difficult in the sense of trying to pull it apart, but difficult in the sense of actually trying to apply it. Um, And it's been interpreted and reinterpreted a lot of different ways, and I don't know if you're going to be surprised by this, but I think maybe we've missed it in the church with this one. Maybe we should understand it in a different way. Um, Here's the thing. When when you're reading uh, anything, a book of any kind, like context matters, right? So kind of the flow of thought is we're going in a direction. So if you see something like this chunk talks about, let's take colors, blue, 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 blue. What's the next chunk going to talk about? Blue, right? Makes sense, right? This is literary criticism. It's not difficult. It's pretty straightforward. So Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount has been talking about all these things like giving to the needy. So, for example, when I give to the needy, what is that talking about? God or people? People. I mean, the answer is yes, but, um, but it's about how I interact with people, right? And then, don't, don't, then when I pray, what is that talking about? Do, do you remember the point of the prayer passage? They said, teach us to pray. What was Jesus' whole point with prayer? Forgiveness, which is about what? People. That's that, that even like you can't, you can't focus here if this isn't right. That's what he's saying. You got to work on forgiveness. And then he says, don't judge. Is that about God or about people? Yes, but people, Right? And then don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't throw your truths at people who don't know what to do with them, who don't know how to steward. They don't buy your worldview. They don't get why you would believe that in the first place. Don't try to impose that on other people. That's not fair. Don't try to ask a Christian or non-Christian to act like a Christian. They're not, right? It's about people. So then ask, seek, knock should probably be about what? People, because what he's going to follow up with is do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Is that about God or people? Yes, but people, right? That's the answer. Yes, but people. This is important because you can't go people, 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 God, people, people, people. Like it doesn't, it doesn't work. So, and, and here's the thing. Like if we try to understand that this verse is about God, then there's some problems. So let's, let's read the passage And then we'll pull it apart and we'll start moving. Let's go. Matthew chapter 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you if his son asks him for bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who seek him? Bonus points for the rabbinic teaching tool here. Anyone? We've talked about this. Come on, people. 
Kalvachomer, lesser and greater. If you who are evil can do good things for people, how much more will God do good things for people? And you're like, well, see, it's about God. We'll get there. Um, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So what Jesus says is, good news. You can read the whole Old Testament or you can read verse 12. Like, that's cool. That's cool. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. What's going on here? Here's the thing. On the surface, and the way that this has been translated over the years, is that we ask, seek, and knock with God. And, and what happens is preachers preach these sermons on this passage, asking, seeking, and knocking with God. And if you have enough faith, he will give it to you. Why? Because he's a good father who would never give stones to those who ask for bread or serpents to those who ask for fish. And there's all kinds of reasons why he picks those. And that's another sermon for another day. But here's the thing. The problem is this falls apart very quickly. And you know this because you did ask and you did seek and you did knock and she still has cancer. Are you with me? Like, I did go to the Lord. I did beg him for something. I did. And he didn't answer which means then that if God's perfect and wonderful and good, where's the problem lie? Here. Like, where this goes is the old um, Janis Joplin song. I said Joan Jett first service. It's not Joan Jett. It's Janis Joplin. Remember the song, Oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Yeah. Yeah. My friends are all something. I must make amends. Right? And the second, you guys are all singing it. You're like, yeah. Strangely want to smoke a cigarette right now. This is weird. <laughs> the, the second verse, oh, Lord, won't you buy me a color TV? Because that was a big deal in the 70s, I guess. Like, now it's 4K TV. Like, I don't know if you know this, but they used to have TVs that weren't color. They were just black and white. Um, and people loved it. They were honored to have such a thing. Uh, and then the, 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 my favorite line in that song is, Lord, show me that you love me and buy the next round. <laughs> that's awesome. Because uh, some days, you know, some days, that's, that's how it goes. Like, this is where this verse goes. And the problem is that we know that it falls apart. Just even on the surface for us, this verse falls apart because we've done those things and it feels like God didn't answer. And all of a sudden now the problem must be with me. I must be insufficient in some way that God would answer these other prayers. And apparently there's this guarantee that God, if I ask, seek, knock, that God's going to show up and do things. And then he doesn't. What, what's going on here? Well, here's what I think maybe um, we need to address. And, and what we're addressing today is uh, if you were a fish... In the American culture, what we're going to talk about today is the water that you swim in. Like it is so 
permeated our culture that this is super difficult for us to unravel because we, we say that a mark of spiritual maturity is that I don't need anyone else. That a mark of spiritual maturity is that I'm strong and can stand on my own. This is how we measure our maturity level with Christ. And the reality is what Jesus is saying here is that apparently as you live and breathe in the kingdom, that the mark of maturity is how humble we are and how we talk to one another. Are we willing? Because what he's been saying is like treat people this way. Don't judge. Don't treat people this way. Like don't talk to people that way. Here's how you're supposed to talk to people. Ask, seek, and knock. And, and, and what we do when we do that is we force two things. Number one, we force an interconnectedness. And number two, we force humility. Neither one of those are values in our culture. We value independence. We value strength and fortitude of character. We value the ability to stand on our own. I'm on my own. Right? Why did he go this way? On my own. How many songs? And the thing is, the funny thing is, you listen to those songs about being on your own, and it's always about wanting to find love, right? Nobody likes being on their own until it means that I have to humble myself in relationship, and then all of a sudden, now I'm strong, I'm independent. And, and even when we, when we have to ask, like we have all these precursors in the way that we ask it, like, I know that this is the last thing that you would want to do. You, you do? You, you know that? That, this, that helping you would be the last thing that I would want to do? Or, or this, I... I hate to ask. Why? Like, like you should hate racism. Like, you should, you should hate abuse. You should hate those. You hate to ask? Where did we go wrong in how we deal with one another? Where did that go haywire? Like, we have this value in our culture. That, and, and Paul talks about it, Colossians 2. He says, why, if you died to the basic principles of this world, do you live as if you still belong to them? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. He says, these, they have an appearance of wisdom with what the English translates there is it's self-imposed worship. The Greek there literally is the, it's worship of the will. It's false humility and it's harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. What he's saying is, listen, here's the problem. Like, you can live by the rules and stand strong and buck up and put your pretty face on, but it's fake because it doesn't actually change anything inside. The way that we actually get transformed is when we humble ourselves in community and ask. We ask, we seek, we knock. And by the way, when I ask you for something and you give it and I receive it, who gets transformed? We both do. 
There's transformation in the giving and the receiving. So this humility becomes the precursor to actual real freedom in my life. I'll give you an example. Um, So a year ago, um, I know this because it was the weekend of the women's conference a year ago. Um, I was driving, I had to drive over to Missoula to help with the get church plant preparations over there. And my dad and I jumped in my truck and we were headed over. I got up early and it, we had a dog. Um, her name was Bella. She was a golden retriever that was the size of two and a half golden retrievers. Um, she was well fed. Uh, and Bella, for 10 years, slept right next to the bed on the floor, right next to me. And I woke, I woke up, and she wasn't there, which was odd. And um, so I went downstairs, and she was laying in the living room, and I could tell she didn't look like herself. You know, she looked at me. She kind of was too lazy to even lift her head up. She just kind of moved her eye and wagged her tail a little bit. You know, that was kind of her MO. And I, so I, I went over and loved on her and, and petted her, you know, and just snuggled with her because she was Bella. She was my dog. Um, and I, it was 5.30 in the morning. I had to leave. So I got in the truck and I text Kelly, who was still asleep at the time, and said, hey, when you wake up, check on the dog. She doesn't, she doesn't look like herself. She's not, she's not acting like herself. And I hit the road, um, pick up my dad, and I hit the road. My wife comes down somewhere between 7 and 7.30, and the dog is dead. And uh, it was catastrophic. Now, here's the deal. 2017 was not a great year for our family. Like, we really struggled with a lot. But after that, I was like, for crying out loud, my life has officially become a country song. Like, my dog died. Uh, my dog died. And, and here's the thing, like when she died, you know, her muscles are relaxed and she released her bowels and it was just really, just, it was just a mess. It was a mess. And so my wife came down and she sees this and she was not super emotionally stable at that period in our life anyway. And she just lost it. Just ah, fell apart. Just fell apart. So she calls me and she's like, Aaron, the dog's dead. I'm in Kellogg on my way to Missoula. She's like, the dog is dead. I said, I'm so sorry. She said, what are we going to do? I said, well, you and Gabe, because it's going to take two of you, grab the carcass, take it outside on the back patio. I'll deal with it when I get home. I can't do that. I said, well, then leave it there. I can't leave it there for the kids. Right? You know this scenario, right? You know this scenario. Like, it was not pretty. And not only the emotional attachment to the dog, but, like, the whole situation is just messy. And I'm not there to help. Like, I'm not there to swoop in and be the protector of my family. Like, I'm, I'm feeling really exposed and inadequate. And I'm, and I, I'm torn between this, this journey and this journey. It, it just was this big mess. And so we had to, we had to call. We had to figure out who, who are we going to call for this moment? Because this isn't a normal moment. This isn't a moment like, hey, um, let's hang out and play cards. Like, this is a moment where, like, how they encounter it, how they deal with us, how they navigate that is going to be really critical. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you, if I had said, if I had called you, if I had asked you, you would have been like, yeah, absolutely. I'll come and help. I'll come and help that. Absolutely. Of course. Of course. Of course. Here's why. Because asking 
there's something about asking that endears us to one another. There's something about that moment of humbling ourselves that it endears us to one another. And, and it's so powerful. The problem is in our culture, we don't want to endear ourselves to anyone. We want people to need us, but we don't want to need anybody. And the problem with that is you're not made to not need people. You're made to need God and people. You're made to need both of those things. And so which is it, right? Do, is this about God asking, seeking, and knocking, or is this about you and me? And the answer is yes, but about people, just like it's been all the way through the passage. Yes, yes, it's about God, yes, but it's also about people. How do we engage in the kingdom of God? One, at one level, what Jesus is saying here is that independence has no place in the kingdom of God. And I, you know, I listen to, I listen to hip hop music because that's how I roll. <laughs> if, you, if you're real nice, I'll do the Dougie for you sometime. Um, I can do it. But here's the thing. Uh, you're gonna have to be really nice if you're gonna get me to do that. Um, Here's the thing. Uh, what I know about like the hip hop culture is this like I grew up and got hurt. And like if you're a rapper, they always are like, where's your pain? Where are you, what pain are you speaking from? You don't got no pain, right? Like so there's, there's this culture of like I grew up and I got hurt and then I got hard and now I'm getting paid, right? Like <laughs> that has no place in the kingdom of God, no place in the kingdom of God, no place. In fact, if you come in hurt and hard and wounded, that's okay. But the invitation to the kingdom of God is to let those hurts heal. Because D Jesus doesn't want to just save you. He also wants to heal you and set you free. Amen. And one of the ways that that happens is through how we engage one another. Now, what I know is that those of you that are sitting here trying to debunk this, I don't like that. I don't like not being independent. I don't like needing other people. I don't need anyone. It's just me and God, which by the way, biblically is a lie. Um, that's just not even true. Like God doesn't even believe that about you. Um, he, he doesn't. It's not good for man to be alone. Remember that? Remember that verse in the Bible? Did you know that that verse happened before sin? Like there was no separation with God and Adam. They didn't have any separation. And God looked at Adam and said, it's not good for him to be alone. God said that. Like there's something in us that God put in that doesn't have anything to do with sin. It has to do with how we're made that we need one another. Sin gets in the way of that. And so the invitation of the kingdom is to let that heal so that we can be interconnected in community again. That's what's happening. And when we do, your father gives good things to you. He shows up in this crazy, weird space, right? I'll tell you a story. So uh, 
when we were a much younger family, I think my oldest daughter, who's 22 now, was like four or five, maybe. And we were just starting out in ministry, and we were, we were poor. In fact, we were po. Um, and you didn't have enough money for poor. We were po. Um, and our washer and dryer broke, which were used pieces of junk that we got when we got them, and they broke. And so we were like, uh, okay. And we just got Carter and Caleb, and I think Gabe was maybe a baby at the time. And we just came together and we said, we're going to pray and we're going to see what God does. So we prayed, Lord, um, we know that you don't owe this to us, but we're just asking that you would find a way to provide for us a washer and dryer. Well, here's the odd thing. Out of the blue, my wife's parents called and said, hey, um, we were thinking about you guys and just wanted to give you guys something nice. And we saw this brand new washer and dryer at Sears. Would you guys want something like that? We were like, no. <laughs> we don't need it. Like totally, it was totally one of those like, you can say whatever you want to about whether or not there's a God. You can go, oh, isn't that a weird universal coincidence? No, it was the Lord. It was the Lord, right? So here's the thing. I'm we're, uh, like a week later after we get the washer and dryer, it was such a cool gift. A week later, um, driving in my pickup with my daughter, Carter, who's five at the four or five at the time. And she says, dad, out of the blue, my daughter has always been a deep thinker and she continues to surprise me. But she goes, dad, God didn't give us that washer and dryer. Like out of the blue, she said that. I said, really? Tell me about that. What do you mean? She goes, Papa Boomer gave us that washer and dryer. I said, that's true. But God used him to give it to us. Like, that's how community is supposed to work. We're supposed to be able to meet each other's needs. And somehow in the midst of it, we both get transformed. So here's the bottom line. Like if you are sitting there saying, I don't need a home group. I don't need relationship with other people. Number one, that's a lie. And number two, that's sin. And you need to repent of that sin and start getting connected. What real relationship does is it forces us to heal from the wounds that we have on our heart. That's what happens. It actually forces that stuff that we've been trying to keep hidden, it forces that to the surface so that we have to actually deal with it so we can be healed and set free. Now I know, my critical thinkers in the room are all going, okay, but what about the crazy relative clause? Because we've all got one, right? We've all got the one that like asks the whole family for everything. They are the, you're like, I don't have one. We've all got one. <laughs> so if you're like, I don't have one. We've all got one. <laughs> what if, like... What about that? What about the people that just ask, 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 ask? Because there are those people in this world that have a vacuum hose that's connected to their belly button and they walk around and they stick it and lock it into the side of your head and suck the life out of you, right? Like there is no mutuality. They are 100% take. And then when you're no life left, they will disconnect from you and move on. Like, yes, 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 yes. Yes, there are those people. And sometimes the most loving thing that you can do is to say no. And that's the hard thing about asking, is that when you ask for something, you have to be okay with the possibility that they might say no. 
It's what we do with the no that's the problem. Now, let me, let me say this. You go, well, then I don't want to ask for anything. I'm strong. I'm fine. L- l- are there any moms? Any moms in the room? Anyone? Uh, it's weird when a guy raises his hand. I'm just saying. Um, uh, I have a tendency to still hold to the male-female gender reality of the world. Um, it's really not complicated. Don't make it that. Um, I probably just offended a bunch of people. Um, God loves us all right where we are. So I might be wrong, but he loves me. Moms, what are some of the things that your kids ask you for? Huh? Money. What's that? Internet passwords. Internet passwords. They're two. They're two years old. That's, yeah. What did you say? Subaru. A Subaru of all the things to ask for. Way to set your bar low. All right. Yeah. I'd be like, <laughs> I'd be like, Porsche, um, come on. I mean, if we're asking. What else? Huh? Ice cream. Food. We had food. Electronics. Electronics. Yeah, absolutely. Some of that stuff is crazy. Like, like you're never going to get a Porsche. Sorry. It's not, it's not going to happen. You may get a Subaru, but it's going to be from the 70s. Can I get a witness? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had one of those. Um, in the 70s. Uh, it was cool. Uh, here's the thing. Like, they're asking for all kinds of crazy things. Now, moms, let me follow up with this question. Would you rather that your kids ask you for all kinds of crazy things that you're going to have to say no to, or would you rather that your kids ask you for nothing at all? Of, co- of course we want them to ask. Yeah, yes, yes, there's probably going to be a lot of no's, but at least... At least we're talking. And and I think that's how God relates to us in this. It's like, look, like I can give you all kinds of good things and I may not give you what you want because it may not be right for you. You're like, I I want a million dollars. Well, there's nothing wrong with a million dollars. God's like, yeah, I give you a million dollars. You're faithful, die. Like for, there are people who can steward lots of money and then there are people who cannot, Right? That's what happens when lottery winners lose everything. They get millions of dollars in five years, they're broke again. Why? Because there's people who can steward money and there's people who cannot. Apparently the Lord thinks I'm on the not side. Um, That's okay, no big deal. God loves all kinds, uh, even me. But that's, that's the thing, like at least, at least we're talking. And so the problem for us isn't about measuring whether or not a person is good or bad or effective or useful or whether or not they should be asking. The problem is, what are we doing to make sure that we're helping them? And talking bad about them is not helpful. I want to read some couple of passages. James 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. Everybody wants influence. But influence never comes without responsibility. And if you can't handle the responsibility of influence, don't take on the privilege of influence because you will be held accountable for it. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man and also to bridle his, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. 
Look at the ships also. They are so large and are driven by strong winds. They're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member yet boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed, and it has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison, And with it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? And we're going to stop there. But here's what he's saying. You can't curse people and bless God. The way in which you engage relationships with people says more about where you're at with the Lord than anything else. You can't say, I love the Lord, I just hate people. I've heard pastors be like, the ministry would be great if it wasn't for people. Yeah, it would be. It would be called taking a nap. (laughs) That's what ministry would be without people. Right? Like you can't, do that. What you have to understand is in the kingdom's economy, how I talk about you, how I talk about others, how I even talk about crazy relative who asks for too many things, how I talk about all of that is a direct reflection of where I'm at here. Are you with me? This, it's where I'm at, the Lord, that gets expressed here. Like you can't say I'm right with God and bad with you. That's why you have to work on forgiveness. It's why you can't judge. It's why you can't do those things. It's why you actually have to have humility because people are going to step on your toes and they are going to push buttons that came from wounds that weren't their fault. And you are going to get bent out of shape. But how you treat others, that section is going to finish out with, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Like be a forgiving, kind, gentle person because someday you're going to need it. First John, by the way, First John, John, First John, the letter is called the love book. The love book. Um, it is the love book. I want you to hear some of this lovely language. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Do you believe this? God is light and in him there is no darkness. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. Do not practice the truth. See, here's the problem. For a lot of people, they're like, love means blind acceptance, so don't ever have any standards for me, or you're judging, or you're, you're not loving me. Well, that's just not true. Like, there are standards in the Christian life. There are standards, and it's not an act of unlovingness to, to tell you about that. In fact, it would be an act of unloving to say, oh, you're just wonderful. No, you're blowing it. Like, don't get mad. I'm, I love you. I want, I want like, I, we're in. We're good. I still, like, come here, little brother. You know, like, we're good. We're good. But, but this place, like, and how we do that matters, and I get all that. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship. So what he says is, if you claim to walk in the light while you walk in darkness, you lie. 
And here's how we know that we're walking in the light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, what do we have? Fellowship with one another. So if you're still sitting there going, I don't need a home group. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. Like it's, a, it's a reality. It's not negotiable. Let's continue on in 1 John chapter 2. Next passage, here we go. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment. He's like, this isn't, this isn't crazy new teaching. This is like, this is the way it's always been. The old, the old commandment is the word you've heard. Next slide. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother, still in darkness. You can put whatever label on yourself you want. Call yourself a Christian all day long. If you hate your brother or if you refuse to forgive other people or at least work towards forgiveness like in an intentional, strategic, movable way, you're still in the darkness. Call yourself whatever you want to. What John says in the love book is that you're still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I, I just want us to consider the possibility that asking, seeking, knocking, and in the midst of us doing this for one another, God shows up and changes us both. Maybe the idea here, it's been this call to forgiveness, this call to um, acceptance and love and grace and compassion all the way through. Maybe now it's this call to humility that invites us to transformation. And maybe that's why we should treat each other a certain kind of way. Because one day, I'm gonna need your help. One day, you're going to need my help. And it's okay to ask. And with that in mind, we're going to move towards the Lord's table. Every week, we take communion together. It's an opportunity for us to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So we have an open table. Anybody that's willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us is invited to partake in it. But we want you to hold the elements to the end, and we'll take them all together. Now, while they're passing that out, I want to work through a few implications. Number one, God will often put us in positions where we need community. That's not God abandoning us. Moments where you need people around you will become in your story some of the most sacred moments that you experience. It's not God abandoning you. It's him showing up and showing new pieces of himself to you that you didn't even know existed. Implication number two, these moments will define our true humility. Being forced to ask for help creates in us a value for others because we realize just how inadequate we are. And I would say this, it is an act of maturity 
to be able to ask for help well. It is an act of immaturity to refuse to ask for help and to just go, I do it myself, right? What's that look like? I do it myself. Toddler, why? Because it's an act of immaturity to act that way. So don't think that it's any different in your own life when you refuse to ask, seek, and knock. Last implication. Submitting ourselves to one another is an act of submitting ourselves to God. And I want to talk about this one for just a second because this is important. There's, we hate the word submit, and I get it. I get it. Spiritual authority has been abused in our culture horrendously. Yes, yes, that's true. But the idea of real spiritual authority is about the one who's in authority setting the standard for submission, for service, not for pointing the finger and barking orders and making everybody do. Like, think about this in a marriage context. Whoever's in spiritual authority, uh, I heard this joke one time, um, on a wedding day, husband and wife commit to being one flesh, and then they go home to figure out which one. Um, like, the act of spiritual authority in a home is about outserving the other one. Not about barking orders and pointing fingers. It's about outserving. Like spiritual authority is about outserving people. So in your, in your marriage, try this on, husbands and wives. See if it works. If you as husband, you come in, you're like, hey, I'm the spiritual authority in this house, so I'm going to set the standard. I'm going to outserve you. Your wife will be like, no, I don't, I don't want to be served. Right? No. She's going to go, no, I'm out serve you. No, you're not. I'm out serve you. No, you're not. I'm out serve you. Oh, it's on. It's a servathon, right? <laughs> like, that's another worship song, servathon. Yeah, I'm coming up with all the good ones. Blessing Conduit, servathon. These are, we're going to have an album before long. I got all the titles, just none of the songs. So, but here's the, here's the thing. Think about it. Like, if you live in a marriage where each one of you is working towards outserving the other rather than pushing towards getting what you want from the other side, then when you actually ask for something that's meaningful and it's from a place of mutual submission and respect because we've built into the relationship this attitude of giving. So it's with great pleasure that I serve you if you need something. When I don't, when I'm constantly trying to put you under my thumb, like I'm, an, I'm the boss of you, you do what I say because I'm, I'm, I'm ahead of the house, right? My wife says, yeah, but I'm the neck um, and I turn the head, so don't go to sleep. Because uh, <laughs> if you do, the head can be severed while the neck stays, if you know what I'm saying. Like, we should be submitting ourselves to one another. This is, this is an act of submitting ourselves to the Lord. And this should be the standard set by spiritual authority. Like spiritual authority should lead the way. So anytime that spiritual authority tries to impose its will on other people, it is an abuse of that spiritual authority. And if you're in a church where that happens, you have my permission to leave it. Because that's not how God would want you to do And I'm not, I'm not trying to beat up on other churches. I'm just saying it's time for the church to recognize that it's in serving and submitting to one another well, healthily, 
that we find the presence of God more and more and more in our midst. Just a couple of verses. Ephesians 5, give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're able to give thanks to everything, even the hard things. Why? Because in submitting to one another, we experience more of God in our midst. Which means that perhaps the next time that you're in a bad spot and you need to ask for help, rather than going, oh, I hate to ask. Maybe what you should say is, I'm going to dance because I'm going to get to understand more of God now than I could before through this process. Maybe it's an opportunity to grow, not just a, I know this is the last thing you want to do. One more, one more verse, James 4. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. In this context, resisting the devil isn't about temptation. It's about resisting the unwillingness to submit to one another. Now, this breaks down very quickly. It breaks down as soon as one of us goes, you submit to me and I don't submit back to you. I get it. It's a tenuous tightrope that we walk. It's just the call of Jesus, which is such a beautiful segue into communion because the way that this works is in laying our life down, not in pushing our own agenda. This works when we, under, we remember that Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup, it's a new covenant in my blood. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Lord, I am convicted by this message. I hate it and I love it all at the same time because I know that my own desire, my own insecurities, my own wants to be enough they get in the way of this attitude of laying our life down so that we can be giving to one another. Lord, thank you for this amazing challenge. Help us to steward it well in your name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter and visit our website, liferotp.com.